All right, good morning, Foundation Church. It is so, so good to see you here today. We are kicking off a brand new series today in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew. And so over the next uh, just few weeks, we're going to be going for, through Matthew chapter 1 through Matthew chapter 4. And so that being said, just want to encourage you that as we go through this series, if you're looking for a place and a way to get into God's Word, this is the place. This is the place. Just stick along with us through Matthew. Have some fun getting just dive into his word. But then also, we want to continue to encourage you. This past series that we went through over prayer, man, we got to see God do some incredible, incredible things throughout our church and, and even in my own personal life. In the, all of the seats, there's a little card there that's a bookmark just to continue to remind you that as we continue to go through this next season, this series, that we will continue to be a church that does one thing above all else, that we pray. And this will be a constant reminder to you, no matter where you are and what you're doing. But I'm excited uh, to bring the word with you uh, to you today. I'm excited for, for just what this series, I think, is going to speak to our lives and speak to our church. There was, I uh, learned this this past week, that evidently, according to multiple studies, that over the course of a day, I still think this is a little crazy, that we make 35,000 decisions in a day. 35,000 is the number that people kept coming to. Like I said, that seems insane. If you have kids, you're probably thinking it doesn't sound that crazy. You also are probably even thinking, whenever I thought about, well, how many questions do we have to answer in a day? How many of those decisions are connected to questions that we have or questions that are given? And so throughout the course of our life, we are constantly making decisions. And throughout the course of our life, we're constantly asking and answering questions. Where will you live? Who will you marry? You know, what will you do? Those are maybe some of the most important questions that you put on the list. But throughout this series, we're going to be answering this question, or we're going to be challenging you in your own life to answer this question, the question that is the most important question that you will ever have to ask and answer, and it is simply, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? In Matthew chapter 16, there's an incredible moment where Jesus is standing around the disciples and he asks this question to them. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is a great question. Because whenever we look at this, every single one of us maybe already has a response. Well, they had a response as well. Who do people say that I am? There were all sorts of answers. Some people said that Jesus was John the Baptist. Some people said that he was Elijah. Some people said that he was a prophet. And I began to think about within our own culture, whenever that question comes to mind, what is our response? Well, maybe you've heard that Jesus is a good teacher. Or Jesus was just a really, really good guy. Or maybe you would say that Jesus is one of the most hated people of all time. Or I got to thinking about this part. This one's a little bit more fun. Jesus is an influencer. Can you imagine like Jesus with a TikTok or like an Instagram? Like think about that. Like what would he, he would have millions and millions of followers, but then also he would have millions and millions of haters. He's just like multiplying bread. and He's like, look, look at what I've created. And everybody's either loving him or hating him. Could you imagine? Think of that. Maybe that's how we see Jesus. He's just an influencer. Or maybe Jesus is just someone that helps my life. 
that makes my life better. Maybe he is someone that just gives me good advice of how I should live my life. Or maybe to you, Jesus is just that ticket to heaven so that you don't have to go to hell. But just begin to think in your mind as we go through today, if Jesus was standing before you today and asked this simple question, who do you say that I am, what would your response be? To many in our culture and throughout the world, there's really just one word that kept coming to my mind is that Jesus is actually just irrelevant. I don't even want to spend time on that question. I've got too much to do. I've already got my mind consumed in other things. Who do you say that I am? That is where we are going to be. And in Matthew's gospel, we see at the very top, if you look in the top of your Bibles, or you even see it on your phone, it says the gospel according to Matthew. This is where we're going to find what if Jesus is way more than any of the things that our culture says? What if he's way more than the things that even those around the disciples said that day? What if he was way more? And Matthew is trying, and we'll begin to see, is that Matthew is saying that this is the good news. That Jesus, who is he? That Jesus is the good news, and the good news is true. That he's way more than what you could ever imagine and even probably be able to predict. That he's way, way more. That actually, whenever you begin to look at it, that the entire Bible is centered around who he is. And how does Matthew begin? How does Matthew begin the gospel, the good news according to Matthew? I want to bring this to life. Every story that we have known throughout our life has begun in a couple of ways. Once upon a time, or my other favorite, there once lived a carpenter in a town called Nazareth. You can imagine, right? We begin to put these stories to play in that way. Every single Disney movie, every single Marvel movie, every single love story, romance begins with this character development. And we see like the deepest desires and fantasies of our hearts, hoping that they come true, to have a Prince Charming, to have love ever after. And we watch these movies and we see these stories that we read, but every single one of them, we begin to say, well, that's not reality. That's not true. And so whenever we look at gospel of Matthew, Matthew does not begin that way. So this isn't a story of fantasy. This isn't a story that is, that is like written neatly and nicely. No, Matthew is trying to answer this question for us. Who is Jesus? And he is screaming, I'm going to tell you. And he begins with this picture, once again, that this is what the Bible is all about, that Jesus is the good news and that the good news is true. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead, turn them to chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start easy and then it's going to get really, really difficult, not for you, but for me. But let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's just start there. Stop right there. The book. This is a writing that has come from Matthew. It says that this writing is of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Let's pause real fast with this word genealogy. Genealogy. Guys, if I could tell you the Rayburn genealogy, I can only go back about two generations. And maybe you can maybe only go back maybe even one. 
But the genealogy plays a very, very special word. Genealogy is rooted in the same word that we find in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis and genealogy share a root together. So whenever you think of this word genealogy, what I want you to begin to think about is that this is the beginning. And you can imagine, if you follow a genealogy, a genealogy must continue to go back, 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 back until there's a beginning. And what he is saying here is that this is the beginning. This is the, the beginning of Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that in Genesis, God does something incredible. Boom, seven days he makes the world. This is the beginning of all things. But in the New Testament, this word Genesis is a little bit different because Jesus, as we see through the gospel, he says, behold, I don't just make things, but behold, I make all things new. If we continue on, so imagine this, this new beginning is about to take place of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, let's break down this word. Jesus is, is this, this Hebrew form of Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. And then Christ in the Greek means Christos, which just means the anointed one. So we see Yahweh saves and he's anointed. Well, then we see this taken even deeper here when it says then, who is Jesus? The son of David. The son of David. Who is David? He was one of the greatest kings, Israel's king. And so I just want to pause here. What is happening here? In one verse, we see Matthew blows, blows it up. And he says, this guy, Jesus, he is the Yahweh. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, the Old Testament is full of prophecies of this Messiah. And the, the Messiah became the word that came to summarize the several strands of the Old Testament expectation, the promise of an anointed one who would righteously rule God's people. The coming king. And every single king has to have a royal heritage and lineage. And we see this is the guy who would establish the, thr the throne in Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel. The son of Abraham is, is going back to God's covenant with this, this man named Abraham who established Israel as a chosen people, and also affirm that the whole world will be, will be blessed through his line. This is who he's saying he is. Now let's go back just a little bit to one of the prophecies, to one of the prophets, Jeremiah. I'm going to take you to Jeremiah 31 to kind of continue to bring this together. Jeremiah 31, he begins, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, You know the Lord, for they shall all know from me. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. 
find 31, Jeremiah 31 says, just as Genesis gave the story of the beginning, God's creation and covenant relationship with Israel, we are seeing something new that is beginning to happen. Now, let's, why is all that being said? Why is all that being spoken? What are you saying in one verse is that Jesus is the new king? That Jesus is establishing a new covenant. This is the one. If you look throughout the entire Old Testament, you will see and you will find that this is the one that we have been waiting on. He is from the line of David, which is so important. He is the Messiah, the anointed one that is to come. Matthew is proclaiming all of these things in one verse. In one verse. The long-awaited king, the bridge between the old and the new. You see, whenever we think of Jesus, and we begin to ask that question is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Oftentimes, what we begin to look at When we see this scripture, you maybe begin to ask this one question, well, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Because what we oftentimes do is that we take the entire scripture and we begin to make it about us. And in so many ways, the Bible is great news. It's also great advice. It also gives you great ways in which to live a healthy and productive life. It's unbelievable the connections there. But the Bible, and especially the Gospel of Matthew, is not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And what he is saying here is that contrary to our opinion and beliefs and conceptions, this is not a story of how to live, but an announcement of what has been done, an announcement of who has come. It is not advice. It is not advice, but it is news. Advice is if it's like, you know, it's like in your life, it's like how to handle money. That's good advice. As if you have a choice of like all these different options. You can just take advice after advice after advice. But news is different. News you cannot change. News you cannot, uh, you cannot adapt. News you simply respond to. And so what Matthew is saying there, this is Jesus. This isn't advice. This isn't about how you live. This is just who he is. There's this response that we are having to get to. Something In advice, it urges you to do something, but news, it's already been done. And so Matthew, to set the stage once again, here's where we are. He is the messenger of the good news. That here here is what has happened. Here is what has been done. Now we respond. Jesus is not primarily focused. And I do say primarily. We're going to see all sorts of incredible teachings that he has on the kingdom, on living your life, but it's primarily focused on him. Jesus is not primarily focused on you and your self-improvement. As we sang in that last song, well, what is Jesus focused on? There's two things, the kingdom of God and the covenant relationship. Kingdom and covenant, kingdom and covenant. We're gonna continue to see throughout the the whole series, what's he focused? Kingdom and covenant. What is the kingdom? We don't really know what that word means. We actually, in 1776, rebuked the king, right? We are free. We are Americans. We are a democracy. 
We do not serve a king, and this is very, very difficult for us to understand. When we hear the word kingdom, then there must be a king. And we are very, very, very difficult people to live under any sort of ruler of any kind, let alone a good ruler or a good king. Well, what is a covenant? What does this mean? A covenant is an agreement. When you get married, on, your, on the day of your marriage, well, one can say on the day of your marriage, or when you sign the paper, when you sign the paper, the marriage license, you are saying that you are in agreement that you will become one. This is what you're doing. This is a covenant marriage. A covenant marriage is what you step into. Now, whenever we see and we look around the world, we see that why is the kingdom and the covenant so important? Why are these so thing, why are these two things so important? Well, if you look around, let's just talk about like what's happened over the past couple of weeks. The world, if you were to think about the world and your world, is it very good? Is there good in your life? Yes. But when you look around the world as a whole, is the world very good? There is evil all around. There's evil all around. When we talk about the cards right here, is it good that kids go hungry on a weekend? No, that's insane. When you think about, about just the, the sin and the evil of the world, you just can begin to ask yourself the question, is there good? Well, what you will probably see is that, yes, there's glimmers, but more than likely, the kingdom that is reigning right now is not of good, but is of evil. And we can see that in play. But when Jesus came, he said, I'm bringing something new. And my kingdom doesn't lead to destruction. It doesn't lead to brokenness. My kingdom leads to redemption. My kingdom brings restoration. Whenever we talk about serve day, we talk about a supply drive. How do we bring the kingdom to Carter County? How do we bring the kingdom to little kids' lives? We simply feed them. If they are hungry, we feed them. You see that? You see how beautiful the kingdom is in that small, small way? You take what is broken and you fulfill it. You take what is broken and you restore it. This is the kingdom. Now, the covenant is even more incredible because you see the way that we stand or what used to stand possibly is that early on in the creation of the history, sin came into the world. What did that sin do? It broke the covenant. We broke the covenant between us and God. And then, and then through Abraham, God tried to restore and redeem that covenant through his people, through his chosen race. But we see time and time again, and they're just like us, they screwed it up over and over and over again. And so there's always been this separation that we call sin and death between God the Creator and God the Father. But Jesus is proclaiming, I'm bringing a new covenant a new way to the Father. And through those two words, kingdom and covenant, we will spend so much time. But today is just the starting point of that. The kingdom of God is here. When Jesus first comes on the scene, what does he say? He says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe and repent. These are incredible, incredible words. And this is where we start. Here is where Jesus is. If it, and here's where I want to land. Matthew is saying this is true, that this is good news and it is true. And if it's not true, then all else that we read is nonsense. 
If it's not true, then why Matthew even read these words? But it is in light of this truth that all other words that are spoken have any real significance, that Jesus is the good news. The king has come. The kingdom of God is here, and the covenant is once and for all restored and redeemed. That is what Matthew is saying with this incredible, incredible, just like what, 10 words in the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. But every single one of us says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And there's many of you here today who say, well, if Jesus really is the Messiah, there's one simple, one simple question that every single person you encounter will ask will prove it. And Matthew makes this statement, this is who Jesus is. We can see throughout Scripture, this is what he was supposed to be, and this is who he is. And what then happens is, like what we do, prove it. Prove it, Matthew. So he does. Ladies and gentlemen, what you are about to encounter and experience is an Eastern Kentucky boy about to read through the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This will not be very good, but I will act like I said every word 100% correctly, okay? I tried practicing last night. I had like the audio book. Somehow I turned British for about 10 minutes. You know what I'm talking about? And I tried to stay with him, but I just hardly couldn't. I got through the first paragraph, verses 1 through 7. I was like, I got this. Well, then we get through 8 through 16. I'm like, I don't got this. So... Here we go. But in light of that, we are going to be reading. It's crazy. When Matthew begins his, his gospel, the good news, once again, it's not fairy tales. It's not once upon a time. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here's how I'm going to prove it. You see, to us, we do not know our heritage and genealogies in the same way. But to the culture here, they would have known for generations after generations who their heritage was, where they came from, because to them it was so, so important. So, without further ado, here we go. Congratulations. Once again, you are in your seat, and I am up here, and I will be the one reading these. Here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Minadab, and Minadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtul, and Shealtul, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, 
I don't know that one. I really, I really tried faking. I don't know. Abiad and Abiad, the father of Elohim, and Elohim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations, thank you. Yes, yes, we did it. (laughs) So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the genealogy of Christ. This is pointing back Jesus to the son of Abraham, to being the son of David, thus being the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed one, the King, the Son of God, is what he is saying with this incredible, incredible lineage. But even beyond all that, I wanted to bring to light just in this genealogy that if it is about a king, if it is about a kingdom, and if it is about a covenant, then what does that look like? And we see so much fruit in this genealogy that points to his kingdom and his covenant. I want to bring to light just a couple of things here is that Jesus's genealogy, he really uh, just like flips upside down the values of the world. A genealogy at this time would have been connected to a resume, like a resume, is that whenever you see somebody's genealogy, you hope that there's some good ones. It's like whenever you're applying for a job, it's like you kind of like mark out those two years after college where it's like, those were not good times. And you just kind of erase them. You're like, oh, yeah, it's a really good resume now. You can imagine this with the same way, but Jesus doesn't do that. Because what you find in this genealogy is a ton of faithfulness, but then also just a ton of imperfection. This is not a genealogy that many would have loved seeing. This is not a genealogy that even would have been respected in a lot of ways. But once again, Jesus flips upside down the values of the world. Let's just kind of go through some of these names. Abraham. We see him as, as the incredible man of God, but also we've seen him as just a man that sought to have control. We've seen him have some incredible, incredible screw-ups. We see Jacob. He was actually scheming and dishonest and actually took his brother's birthright by pretending to be him. We can continue on that David. If you look in verse 6 there, it says, And David was the father of Solomon by Uriah's wife. Uriah being a dude. By, you understand what I'm saying? So by Uriah's wife. There's only one way you have a kid with somebody else's wife, and that is adultery. David, the son of David at the very beginning, we see him. How did he get to have Solomon? We saw her bathing on a rooftop. He says, go. I want to lay with her. And so he does. And then she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, no. And so it's not supposed to happen in in the right way because 
The husband was actually at war. Uriah was at war. His best friend was at war fighting for his kingdom. And so he calls Uriah to come back to actually then hopefully sleep with his wife so they'd be like, well, it's not mine. It must be yours. But he actually lays in front of the door and he makes these incredible, incredible statements that if my man can, if my men and my army cannot have and come back and enjoy their family in that way, then neither shall I. And so what he does, he has Uriah put on the very front lines of battle and he dies. Think about that. That is David. David in the genealogy of lineage of Christ. And as even said, son of David, you know, there's all sorts of rough parts of David's life. So there's also incredible, incredible faithfulness. But let's get even crazier here is that this genealogy mentions women. Culturally speaking, at this time, this was not something that would have been done. But he doesn't just mention one woman. He actually mentions four or five of you actually include Mary. But let's actually talk about some of these women. There are some really, really incredibly faithful and like the best of the best women like Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel we see throughout Scripture, but none of them were included. We see in the very beginning, we see this one called Tamar. And Tamar, she was very special. She had this moment where she actually seduced her father-in-law, Judah, that we find in here. Judah thought she was just a temple prostitute, which that's even more scandalous in that regard. But that was where they kind of found their way in. Then we even look to Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, but also had an incredible moment of faithfulness. We see Ruth. She was a Moabite outsider, outside of the lineage of Israel. Then we see Bathsheba. She was once again the outsider, the adulterer, but then also a schemer to make sure Solomon became the future king. This is the lineage of Jesus. This is the genealogy. And then if it gets even more, we see on the second part, we see the mention of kings, where there were really, really good kings, really, really bad kings. And then we see other people in there that we never even heard of. What does this mean about the kingdom of God? You see, God was working throughout all the generations, both good and evil, to bring about his purposes. This is what is beautiful about our life, is that Matthew shows that his kingdom, that his covenant, it it includes the marginalized, the despised, the imperfect, and these are the the very type of people that Jesus came to save, the people like you and the people like me. And so what I love about the kingdom of God, it is never about perfection. The kingdom of God is always about His grace. And we see this time and time again. We see repentance through this genealogy, but then we also see the incredible, incredible then faithfulness that God was able to use them. And so what I want to encourage you is that through this genealogy is that nobody is so bad. Matthew's saying nobody is so bad, so insignificant, so devoid of talent or outside the circle of faith that he or she is outside of the story of Christ. That in him, even the greatest of us need the grace of Christ. And even the worst is able to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is saying, that this is the king. This is the covenant that you are included. Oh man, come on, isn't that good? That you are included into the story of Christ. No matter what your past is, no matter what you have done, you are included through his faithfulness and through his grace. We also see that that there's this incredible promise of hope in the future. 
We see as we've seen in Jeremiah that there is redemption and forgiveness. And as I would say, if the kingdom is now who we are and the kingdom is what we represent, that we have an identity and a purpose, that we are both a child of God and an heir to the king. That the one that made the stars is our father and the one that controls the world is our Lord and our king. The one that we serve, the one that we bow down to, that is who he is. Now here's what I love even more as we come to a close here. The genealogy, maybe you have skipped over this throughout your entire life, or maybe this was the first time you have ever read it. It is profound. It is absolutely profound here that Matthew is making the proclamation that the long-awaited Messiah and King has come. His name is Jesus. Yahweh that saves, the anointed one. And he is, in, he is bringing in the kingdom of God, the one that restores and redeems all things that are broken. And here's what's so incredible is that you know who's saying all of this? It's Matthew. It's Matthew. Matthew is the one that is writing this gospel. And so if it's ever been true for one person, it is 100% true for Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9 in closing here. In Matthew chapter 9, we actually see that the story is very, very brief. Very brief. Go ahead and put it up on the screen for me, Eric. It says, as Jesus... Passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, a man called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. This is a tax collector. And so we really have no, no real connection to what a tax collector would be as far as like the job title in our age. But what we do know is that we do know what it like, it's like to be betrayed by a brother or a family member. We do know what it's like to be lied to. We do know what it's like to be cheated. And you can imagine that who was Matthew? He was this for the Roman Empire. He was the one that collected taxes on his brothers, on his sisters, on his family, on his nation, and the way they took taxes is that you gave to Rome what was Rome's, and then you could add on to that whatever you wanted. And whenever you added on to it, that was what you then got to put in your pocket. Matthew was an extremely rich man off of the backs of his own people. That's who we're talking about. And Jesus makes this simple proclamation. We cannot even imagine what this must have been like for Matthew, but he proclaims these incredible words, follow me. And this is what Matthew did. He rose and followed him. He rose and followed him. And throughout the course of Matthew's life, what did he do? He followed him. He became one of his disciples. The least, the least in the kingdom of Israel at the time became one of the disciples of Jesus. And who is it now that is writing this, this book? It is this guy. It is Matthew. And so I think this is just so incredibly profound for every single one of us. That when we think about the kingdom, when we think about the covenant relationship that we now have, our story is Matthew's story. That we were the outcasts, we were the cheated, we were the despised, we were the hated, we were the broken. Whatever you want to fit there with your story, don't act like your story isn't because it is. That we find ourselves in 
Matthew's story. And Matthew, through what he has seen, he begins to tell us, this is the gospel according to what I have seen and what I have witnessed. This is the good news according to what I have seen and what I have witnessed. And so, yes, as we see this genealogy, we see this proclamation But as I got to learn this past week is that every proclamation that Jesus is Lord comes with a demonstration. It comes with a demonstration. And so here's what's so incredible is that here is Matthew proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. How is it? Because Matthew can simply say, look at where I once was and look at where I am now. Matthew's life became a demonstration of the grace of upon his life. His life became a demonstration of the hope upon his life. His life was the demonstration that yes, this is the Messiah. And to all the skeptics out there in the room and even even in our culture, how is this true? And it's just basically Matthew saying, listen, you can either believe me or not. This is what I've seen and this is what I've witnessed. I give you a detailed record that this is the one that we have been waiting for. I'm going to give you an incredibly detailed record of all he has done. And here's what I want to simply proclaim to you is that it's true. Is that it's true. This is the, this, these are the words that I've been wrestling with for about four weeks. It's incredible. It's true. is that it's true. And my challenge is that we leave today wrestling with that same question or wrestling with that same statement. Jesus is the good news and the good news is true. And here's what I want to tell you. All the best stories are really true. That who Matthew says that Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the King, the Savior, the Lord, that it is is true. How do I know it's true? Oh my gosh. Of what I have seen God do in my life, I know it's true. How do I know it's true is that I can look upon your life and the incredible transformations of God upon your life and you can begin to look at it's true because I've seen him and I've experienced him. And so I just want to end today with this simple statement that it is true. Matthew writes these words to have a reminder in our current reality, in our current reality, that Jesus is real, that the good news is true. That is true. That Jesus Christ came for you and came for me. It's true. That Jesus Christ, that he took my sins and your sins, and it's true. That we can experience both hope and salvation on this side of the new heaven, the new earth. It's true. There's a resurrection to come, and it's true. That there's hope in your situation, and it's true. That there's healing in your situation, it's true. It's true. And so as we begin to go just throughout our lives, as we leave this place, here's what I hope that we gain from today is that what Jesus is proclaiming, is going to be proclaiming, is rooted in this fact that he is the son of God. Matthew is bringing to light, this is the good news according to what he has seen and what he has experienced. Jesus Christ has come.
And what he has done has given us salvation. Folks, it is true. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the incredible hope that we have. And Lord, I know that there are so many wrestling and so many struggling and situations. And, and God, we pray that they would just put all of that aside today. And they would just begin to think about, Jesus, who really are you? Who are you? Who do I say that you are? Through all the wrestling and the doubts that they may come, and all the lies that may come, what if we just rested in the simple fact that what we have read today that what we have read today in Matthew chapter 1, that we would just simply be reminded that it's true. And that we would begin to reorientate our life around this kingdom and covenant relationship that we now have with the Father because it is true. And may we just focus our lives on that over the next week. In Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen.